Our sermon text this morning is John 16, verses 25 through 33. Jesus said to his disciples, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, you have told your people throughout the centuries it is not for our sake, it is not for the sake of Israel that you are about to act, God, but it is for your holy name. It is not for Israel that you redeemed Israel and brought them out of exile and brought them back to Judea and to Jerusalem. God, it is not for our sake that you have gathered us together. We glean from the fields of your glory. And we delight in that, God. But we know that we are here. You have brought us here to be under your word, to learn from your word, God, for your own glory, for your holy name. Not only gathering us here, but God, that you will gather all people together. That your son is worthy to open that scroll from every people and tribe, every tongue, and every nation, God. Let us delight in the work that you are doing, God. And cause us to have a belief that is grounded in who your son is and also what he has done. God, do not give us a belief in your son that is separate from the cross. But God, let us delight in the cross this very morning. Amen. I thought I could do it. I was rather convinced uh, that I could do it. And there was, there was actually very little doubt in my mind that I could pull it off. But my football coach uh, had an entirely different opinion of my abilities. See, you actually had to be able to run 
to get to the play and where the action was. And this is, so then we have this scrimmage. So you finish up your two days and before the game you have some scrimmage. And they, they did this most un, undelightful thing that they filmed it. And so we gathered together, the offense, one room, defense, the other, and, and they were, we were watching it. And they thought it was delightfully amusing, perhaps, my inability to get there to be at the play. They got a good laugh of the fat guy. They even joked that maybe we should get, you know, those tractor signs that you put on the back of the tractor or the wagon. Maybe, Jake, we should sew one of those on your, your game jersey just to let everybody know to, to watch out for you. Great amusement they had with it all. I thought I had it. I thought I could do it. I didn't really think it was that great, but I thought I had something, something to offer. But the people who actually knew made it abundantly clear that it wasn't there. It wasn't there at all. I was deceived, entirely deceived. Well-intentioned, yet deceived. It's the same thing we're going to see here in our text. The disciples, confused, well-intentioned, yet confused. And what do you see in their words? They're bursting forth in this great confession. We believe, we believe that you came from God. They come and they confess this towards Christ. But it is Christ who then comes along and tells them, no, 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 no. Hold on here. Do you actually believe he calls them? Do you now believe? Calling them to examine their faith. So that's what I hope you guys pull from this text this week and, and meditate on over this upcoming week. Is that we should believe. Yeah, absolutely. We should believe. We ought to believe. We must believe. But we must also examine our faith. Examine our belief as well. So we're going to see this in several parts here. Verses 25 through 28, we're going to see this confusion that's going on. They're still confused about the words of Christ. He's speaking to them in, in parables. It makes them the figures of speech, they would say. But out of that comes this great confession that we'll see in verses 29 and 30. Then in verses 31 through 33, Christ is going to be calling them to examine themselves and to examine their own faith. So let's go to the text here. Verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I have come from the Father. And have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So we start out here. I have said these things to you. Now remember, it's been a week since Joel was up here preaching. And the flow of their conversation, it seems quite evident. You could go back quite a ways. I think all you have to do is go back to verse 16. 
to see what they're talking about. And you have these, it's, bring your eyes up, John 16, if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn there, John chapter 16. Go up, bring your eyes up a little bit above our text. You see this in 16, it gets a little confusing. You have these two little, uh, and a little while, and then again, and a little while. As though he's speaking to them in figures of speech. The first time he tells them, and a little while, that's, that's when Christ is crucified, and when he's died and buried and placed in the tomb. That's when it says, and a little while, you will weep and lament, but... But the world will rejoice. And then the second time, you have a second. And in a little while, and they will see him. And when they see him, the sorrows of Christ's death will turn into a resurrection joy. The day of brightness will follow these days of darkness, and the day of delight will follow the days of sorrow. So it's these things that have been spoken to them in the figures of speech. But the truths of God, even though they, they come to us, they're not always cloaked and covered from the eyes of the disciples. He will speak to them and reveal it to them. And this great revelation that they hear will... What they're going to hear is that Christ, it's going to be abundantly clear that Christ has come down from the Father. That he is doing his work, and then he will then go back up to the Father. And this is what's going to move them from confusion then into confession, is knowing these truths. But this is true for us as well. Christ is not just leaving them disciples with, the, with, these, with these scales over their eyes. He's going, well, you're speaking to us in figures of speech, and then just leaving them right there, as though it's some mystery that's supposed to stay a mystery. No, in the Bible, when you have a mystery, it's just something that is not yet revealed, not yet made known, but it will be. And the same thing is true for the disciples, and it's true for you as well. We first encounter the truths of Christ in the words of Scripture. They seem mysterious to us. In fact, they might even seem foolish to us, don't they? I remember, I remember hearing the gospel. I grew up in the church, but hearing the gospel before I got saved. And it sounded like complete gibberish. You're telling me that I hate God? Like, I don't even think he exists, and yet you're telling me I hate him. Well, actually, yes. <laughs> and so, and, and I hate him, and that's evidenced by the fact that I don't do what he wants, even though I don't think he exists, but I do what I want? Absolutely. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That sounds like gibberish. Oh, and then to make it a little more confusing. Oh, but I don't have to worry because some guy came 2,000 years ago, roughly, and he died. That's exactly it. You've got it. You're so close. It sounds like gibberish, doesn't it? But then, just like the disciples, God does not leave you there. 
And that would seem foolish. That would seem like people were talking in figures of speech. Then you begin to turn and then to actually begin to delight in it. And then months later, after hearing the gospel and God working in your heart, you find yourself amongst fellow believers rejoicing in the fact that I can't believe it. I used to hate God. I never understood it, but now I see it and I love him. And this, this sin that I thought was freedom and I thought I could do whatever I want and just delight in whatever it might be. I didn't realize it, but that it was this burden carrying me, dragging me down. But I, I couldn't see it because I had been carrying this sin my entire life. Ever since my childhood. And when I came to the point of not being able to take another step, I look up and I saw Christ. And he came to me and I trusted him with all my, and all of this sin that I didn't even know I was carrying that sounded like gibberish. It had been taken off of me. And now I walk with him. The eyes of our birth, our natural birth, the eyes of unbelief will slowly give way to the eyes that are able to see beyond the shapes and actually behold the substance of what is there in Christ. Even as you are now here, dear brother or sister, it's not just a, a conversion then, but do you not anticipate that God will continue to show you the riches that you have in Christ through his word? Or now that you're saved, you're just going to stay there until you go into glory. No, God will continue to reveal himself to you. Will he not? Continue to show more and more and more. And then even when we get into glory, what do you think is all of eternity is going to be filled with? God's continued revelation of his glory, his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice. And we will continue to delight in this revelation of God that will not end. He will not be exhausted. His goodness has no end. Here we are just in the first steps. And we are overwhelmed with it. His love towards you is incomprehensible. His grace towards the nations. We cannot comprehend it. But God will continue to reveal it to you. As he did the disciples. As he has done throughout all of creation. He will reveal it to his people for his glory. So in verse 25, says to them, I will tell them, I will tell you plainly about the Father. So Christ has told them that the hour is coming when the disciples will hear them plainly about the Father. And I would say this is when the Holy Spirit comes. Go back up to verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, that is, 
when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Christ, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's in that day when the Holy Spirit comes that your life will, and when he will come and fill your life and conform you then to the image of Christ. And then all that you desire, in that day you will ask in my name, all that you desire will be lifted up to the Father in prayer. And you will be conformed into the desires of Christ. And you will pray, as it says in verse 26, all of these things to happen in the name of Christ. Now, we should address this. Keep going in verse 26. If you're not confused, good for you. It's quite difficult. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So, is Christ saying he's not going to pray for them? So, you get to a difficult point. Brothers and sisters, what do we do? You get to a difficult passage. How do you understand it? There's other clear passages around it, right? Use them to help interpret this difficult one. So, John 14, 16. It says, I will ask. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, the helper. So here it is. Christ saying, I'm going to pray for you. I will ask the Father. And then I'm just going to be preaching on it next week. The whole chapter is Christ praying. For his, a lot of it is for his people, for you as well. And then you get into um, Hebrews, chapter 7. Where did go to Hebrews? It's in there somewhere. Chapter 7. Verse 25. Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. What if you ask in my name? Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So not only does Christ pray for his people, but Christ is his continual prayer for you, his continual intercession for you is the building, is a, the building blocks upon which your eternal salvation is there. Why are you going to be redeemed forever and not fall back like Adam and Eve did in the garden? Because Christ will be continually making intercession for you there. It's not as though we're going to be more wise or have more prudence than Adam and Eve in the garden. No, no, no. We shall not fall away throughout all of eternity because Christ is making his intercession and prayer for his people. So, all of that to say, when we come back to then our verse here, and it says, I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. It gives a little more context here. I think the context here is that the Holy Spirit's going to be coming and indwelling people and indwelling believers so that they themselves will be able to besiege the Father in prayer. Because the sacrifice has been done. No longer is the high priest, and only the high priest, out of the Levites, the priesthood, and then out of the priesthood, this high priest. Only him, and only once a year, able to go into the presence of God. 
No, it's not that because the sacrifice has been made and the curtain's been torn in two so that all of God's people will be able to besiege the Father. This is astounding that you have access to God. You will be able to besiege Him through prayer. You can't even talk with the mayor of Stewartville that we just prayed for without making some appointment, I'm sure. And good luck then. But God, who has ordained all things to happen, delights in you, his children, coming to him in prayer. And why are we able to do, do, to do this? Look at verse 7. For... The Father himself loves you. Because the Father loves you through Christ, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Because you are in Christ and the Father eternally loves the Son, when you are in the Son, God the Father will love you. That's your freedom. Do not build your faith upon anything that you have done. Any good works that you might have? No. Don't even believe the lie that your wickedness of your past is too great for the Son to overcome. That's not it. The love of the Father, which again is beyond our comprehension, that will take eternity to be revealed to us. It will never be exhausted. You have that securely in the Son. That is freedom. Freedom is not to be able to do what you want. Freedom is that you don't have to do it. But the Son has done it for you. It has accomplished everything you need to have the love of God. You cannot lose this love because you can't undo the work of Christ upon the cross. So not only is there confusion... And what Christ has said to them, as though it was speaking to them in parables, speaking to them in figures of speech. Not only that, but we see so dimly this love of God. Not only that, he loves his, his creation, all of his creation with this common grace. Not only that, he loves us in that, or that he, he loves his people specifically. Not only that, but that he loves you individually. And he loves you so much that even when you're dead in the grave, he will reach his hand down in there, grab you up and pull you up out of the grave of death to be with him and to delight in him forever. This is the love of God. Even though we lack in faith and knowing our unbelief, knowing the sin that has enraptured our hearts over this last week, and knowing the sorrow that has plunged our hearts and buried them in the well of tears, the love of God remains for his people. So Christ then makes it abundantly clear to them his work. He doesn't speak to them and figures his speech any longer. And so then we have this confession in verse 29 and 30. His disciples said, 
Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures, figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe. This is why we believe that you came from God. So you see, in last week's sermon, again, this is just a quick conversation. We have a week's gap between several sentences. In last week's sermon, the disciples, it was them who were talking amongst themselves. In verse 16, or 17, some of the disciples then said to one another, what is this that he is telling us? So it's Christ in, in, in his human capabilities didn't even know what they were talking about. It's the disciples that are talking about amongst themselves in his human sense. Christ is not privy to what's being spoken, but then he answers them in all of their questions and he tells them plainly. And this knowledge of their hearts is part of the evidence that will then bring them to confess. Oh, that you know all things, as we see in verse 30. Christ even knows the thoughts and the questions that aren't even directed towards him. Christ knows them. And it's not just the disciples that he knows, and it's not just people that he knows, but it's all things. And this has brought them to their confession. But before we look to the words, let's see how Christ responds. What does Christ say about their confession? Let's see what he says. Go in verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, part of being a parent is appreciating what, it, what the kids will say to you. But if you want to take your parenting from, you know, from here to the next level, you don't just listen to what the kids are saying. Ah, you have to listen to what the kids are not saying as well. So they come running in the house, aptly yesterday, oh, so-and-so threw a snowball at me. Their face is just covered with snow. True, you probably get a snowball in the face. What's not being said? Well, what'd you do? Well, I ran at him, tackled him, and threw, you know, shoved his snow face in the snow. Well, yeah, of course. Then there you go, right? It's the same thing with these disciples. Christ knows their confession, but what are they holding back? What are they not saying? What are they not seeing? If Christ responds, oh, do you, do you now believe? Christ himself is not convinced that their faith, that their confession is, is pure and genuine at this point. Their faith is not real until it runs to the cross. They are believing in Christ. Oh, we believe in you. We'll confess our belief. Why? Because you knew my thoughts. Their confession of Christ has nothing to do with the cross. And then when they come in the shadow of the cross, 
they will scatter. Oh, yes, I believe that you came from God. And we love you because you know our very thoughts. But enter the hardship of the Messiah. Enter the suffering of the Messiah. And then they scatter. This is true for us as well. Very true for us as well. We delight in Christ being born in a manger. We delight in Christ hearing the stories, children being brought here by their parents. But if we are like these disciples prior to true, genuine belief that sees Christ in light of the cross and understands the cross, until we have a faith that comes to terms with the cross, that deals with the cross, that exalts Christ upon the cross and sees him there and delights in him there, then we too have a faith that will lead us to scatter, will leave us to flee, when the hardships come. The disciples, they, they profess to Christ, know Christ because of the thoughts. And we too, we trust Christ. And because oftentimes we delight in Christ. Why? Because he's been so good to us. He's given us more than we can possibly deserve. The disciples, they flee when the guards arrive at Gethsemane. Every one of them. And we, we begin to doubt God when these blessings are then taken away. And we become jaded when our faith does not have a centrality then of the cross. We can profess whatever we want. And we can be self-deceived as the disciples were. But it will leave you jaded but if, if we have a faith and a profession that is built upon the cross and a centrality of the cross, it will not leave you jaded, it will leave you humbled. So these hardships of losing health and losing family and broken marriages and scattered homes, when we have a belief in Christ, like the disciples not seeing Christ in light of the cross, when we have that, then we will scatter. But when we see all of this, all of the hardships through broken families and broken marriages, when we see it through the cross, then we know, ah, Christ has over, undergone more. Christ has endured more. Then we know that death is not the end. And when we see it all through the cross, then we know that glory awaits those who walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So may God help us to move our faith that is continually built upon Christ and his work upon the cross. As Paul said, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is why Paul calls the church in Corinth to examine themselves. 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says this. 
to examine yourselves, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That's basically what Christ is saying. Do you really believe? Examine yourself. Test it. Why are you making this profession? What would bring you to not profess? Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Examine yourselves, brothers and sisters. You profess Christ. Good. Examine yourselves. You believe as Christ says, good. But what will happen? Will you scatter like the disciples? Oh, husband, will you abandon the faith when temptation is there in a digital uh, harem? Would you scatter then? Do you scatter, dear husband, when you are called to wake up early, work industriously hard so that your wife may be able to, to stay home? To nurture and to nourish the family? Do you scatter then? Oh, it's easy to profess Christ. Until you come into the shadow of the cross of what it really means. Do you scatter then when the law of Christ demands that you don't actually live with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage? And that you remain pure? You profess Christ, good, but no, no, no. That's too much. And then we scatter. But Christ in the midst of this is never alone. Even though they all scatter, even though they all of the disciples abandon him and go then to his own home, he says, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. He's deserted. He's abandoned. But... He's not alone. He has a sustaining love and the power of God the Father. We, we sing this, but we know the answer. Why, my soul, are you downcast and why are you troubled within me? Or in Psalm 69, I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Such was Christ. Abandoned, scattered by, left abandoned by those who scattered. This is why you want a faith that is built upon Christ and the cross. Brothers and sisters, to examine yourself. Because apart from the cross, there's no victory. Apart from the cross, there is no convicting there was no purging then apart from the cross and there's only in the cross that we are able to come and see and taste in the peace of Christ who has overcome the world we only have victory in Christ and in this world through the cross so brothers and sisters believe but examine your hearts and purge them of any unbelief Let's go ahead and pray. Oh, great God, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold your glory and to also see with sobriety 
our lack of belief. Like the man in, in Matthew, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, let us be a church and a unified people of God that delights in the work of your Son upon the cross, that will not have any faith in him apart from his work on the cross, will not delight in anything of your Son apart from the cross, God. Convict us, dear God, if we have a profession like these disciples, but not the substance of faith. Have your spirit work in us to show us the work of your son. Amen. Amen.